0: Blood Talk Radio Podcast. Hope you all well and good. Uh, hope you all had a happy, happy new year. Hope no one got too plastered at the New Year's parties and hopefully everyone got safe. We got got home safe out of partying, drinking or whatnot. Hopefully no one drank and drive. Drunk drank and drove if you will. So um, you know, hopefully everything worked out well for you all. Hope you all made it about to work safely in peace. I was sleepy as hell this morning. <laughs> I wasn't prepared to go back to work uh, for my day job. But anyway, welcome to tonight's podcast. My name is Scott Brooks. I'm the creator of a sports ball called The Clown Times. That's the clown's playbook, by the way. You can find me on the web at www.clowntimes.net And you find me on Facebook as well, my fan page. So, what your, 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 your smartphone, your laptop, desktop, point hook you at work or wherever you are. Just go to the search little search window. I think the search blank at the upper right hand page. the type in the Clown Town is gonna Clown Bobokay. You'll find me there as well. Got a little bit to get into tonight. Um, this is a special Thursday evening edition of the Clown Hour because normally our shows are on um, every Wednesday night. But I uh, should all know last night was New Year's New Year's Day. Well, yesterday's the show was New Year's Day and. I don't think anybody was in the mood for <laughs> partying and shit. Um, but anyway, uh knowing you you you'll you be hearing my partner, um, Dwayne Nash. But unfortunately his show, by the way, just with Sleazy sleazy sports, which is um uh by the way on uh, Facebook Live every Tuesday night. Um, he had to redo his podcast with uh with uh, the coaching and crew uh because, you know, being it was Tuesday night. Uh, Tuesday, night that was of course new year 's Eve, so this is say the new year 's eve slash new year 's day confluence, if you will, just uh did a number of both our podcasts in terms of like scheduling uh snap foods. anyway so he 's doing his show right now on Facebook live, so if, if you got time, I asked him where you could go and join him uh, i 'm not sure when he uh, when like uh, when like uh, when the shows go live, but uh please check him out because. That's a great show, but uh, since he's doing that, I'll be doing this. I'll be flying solo tonight. So basically, the show what we're going to cover tonight. Uh, the, we talk about the legacy of one David Stern, the former NBA commissioner who passed last uh, last night of the complication of a brain hemorrhage, as well as uh, breaking down the college football playoff. Just to give, give my own little two cents to what happened uh, the college football playoff semifinals, as well as preview a little bit the NFL Wild Card Weekend, which starts this Saturday. So let's just start with um, David Stern. Well, first of all, I mean for those of you who know me well, um, I like I love David Stern. I I like what he did as a commissioner, but you know, there's a couple of things that I had a, <laughs> just had a slight issue with, like uh, like because like I uh, mentioned earlier. Uh, if you know me well, I am a Knicks diehard Knicks fan, New York Knicks fan. True and true. Got that from my mother. Like my mother uh, grew up in Brooklyn. Like my dad spent several years with dad. That's where he met my mother. So, the love, my love of the Knicks comes strictly through my parents and as well as some of my extended family members on my mother's side of family who was in the New York City area, at least what's left than now. Um, so I always thought. That David Stern had an affinity <laughs> of Michael Jordan, Chicago Bulls in the 80s and 90s, during the prime years of Patrick and my beloved New York Knicks. Because, as you'll remember, if you're a man of a, certain, a person of a certain age like myself, you remember that Jordan stood in the way of my beloved Knicks' best Knicks, Knicks best teams, as well as you know the Pacers. He had uh, the 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 Detroit Pistons dynasty of the late 80s, early 90s as well. Um, so, you know, I was a little bit bitter about that, particularly when the series uh, the series my Knicks had against the uh, Miami Heat, where I forgot what year it was, but uh, I think it was like the, the the last, during the last repeat, the uh, the Bulls' last repeat, where a big riot in game five in Miami, where P.J. Brown started a fight with the... Charlie Ward and people who left the bench my Knicks, including Patrick Ewan and I think Eddie Mason Charles Oakley amongst others and as a result, half the team got suspended for 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 the for like like for game six, which cost my Knicks to win the series because we were up three games to one to like uh like up until game five and then of course Miami took game five and then as a result of 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 My Knicks having an abbreviated squad In game 60 they, they took game 6 And 7 game 6 and 7 and were Quickly dispatched by those Chicago Bulls and and the Eastern Conference Finals. but I started to say That even though I had harbored some resentment towards him and, and his his deputy At the time Bob Thorne Um you know I came to appreciate what Stern brought To the table uh mm-hmm. You know, with with like like with what he did with the league. So let's just consider what he's did for the NBA. Why he is so beloved in NBA circles and basketball circles in general. For one, he took over a time where the NBA was arguably at its lowest, right? Because the league was seen as quote too black and so drug it had so it was so drug infested that. It was, it was just terrible. I mean, you have dudes fighting on the court, dudes getting coached up in the locker room. And, you know, with like like any beat writer would tell you who followed any NBA teams at the time, that it was rampant. Drugs were so rampant. And it took a toll on the fan relations with the fans and people started, not, started to not care. The media didn't cover it as much. And to the point where the NBA Finals – you know the the, the championship uh, series of the NBA, the professional basketball league, was um, was taped late, and actually it, it was taped delayed as late as 1984. So just imagine during those times where those Showtime Lakers first came about, and you know when the Sixers, and and led by Dr. J and Moses Malone, finally broke through. And when the Sel- and bosses, Larry Burris, Boston Celtics started winning in the early eighties, those finals were tape delayed. You did people did not see them live. So just imagine, imagine like having a championship season. Imagine the Super Bowl being tape delayed. Imagine the excuse me, the um um uh, the NHL Stanley Cup Finals for those of you who love hockey, being tape delayed. I mean, it's bad that, they, that, they, that they the Stanley Cup playoffs are like channels that most people don't get, but the, the fact, the, fact of the matter is, if that was bad enough, if, that, if you think that's bad, just imagine not seeing those same NBA I mean I saw the Stanley Cup Finals, or any playoff game, for that matter in the NHL, being tape delayed, not being able to see and watch them live. That was what the NBA was during that time during the '70s and late '70s and early '80s. So it was a the NBA was in a bad place. So, so what David Stern did, he was what he, what how much of a genius he was, he literally just 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 turned just did a one eighty of the NBA in terms of marketability and how and, and, and how how he sold it to not only the rest of the fans of this country but to the rest of the world eventually. So let's just start with uh, you know, with, with what he did domestically at the NBA. First he realized and this is how much of a genius he was, and I don't throw that that term genius around often but he he just was when it came to marketing he realized that in order to captivate a fan base and at least hold the fan base attention you don't you don't merely like 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 market teams you market individuals particularly superstars so during the time where Magic and Bird, Magic Johnson and Larry Bird came to the league, right, right after they squared off against each other in the uh, NCAA uh championship game, which is still, believe it or not, from nineteen seventy nine, which is still believe it or not, is the most watched championship game ever. And this is going on forty one years of of that. But the, if you can imagine that. Um how they carried the a rivalry from the from the NCAA finals into the nba now it helped well, a couple of things it helped that that both guys went to opposite conferences which ensured that you they were going to get some potential matchups in the nba Finals. so which came to be that they met each other i think uh if i get the math right three times so it worked out well in that regard for david still but only that but if you if you if we're just being real about it and Those again, those of you who are a certain age remember that this 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 important factor one was black and the other was white. Now during the time of the late 70s, early 80s, where the country was still struggling, even worse so than they are now than we are now with, with, um, with 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 race relations, that was the perfect foil for having for having one. Against the other not that David Stern Willingly played into that Specifically But it was the underlying Undercurrent he knew That fans would actually get get On I don't want to say get on board But you know just just got on that bandwagon I guess it's just it's, You know it just can't you just can't Like cannot help the fact that That was a big as far as the Racial angle of it, racial angle of it That was a big factor and promoting those two cats while they were sowing their oats of your oil in the NBA and then started winning almost instantaneously, instantaneously with their prospective teams. Now, from those two superstars, you, you know, there came a few years later in 1984, Michael Jordan, then later Patrick Ewing, then later Kim Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler, I guess the thing of the same draft that Jordan came, like, came out. So, if you sense the common theme here, is that he, David Stern, recognized superstars, and, and you know, I mentioned that, uh, that the day Julius Erving earlier, and later like Charles Barkley, but if he see, he marketed the superstars because, you know, we all know now that we as sports fans generally gravitate towards the players more than the team especially now in the fantasy in the fantasy sports age where we all we usually give the damn more about the players than our own team anymore right and so you know just or just for just just and just for this point of emphasis I grew up a Steelers fan but I became a fan have become a fan of Lamar Jackson who plays for the hated Ravens and you know just to give you an idea so it's, I, I I don't like the Ravens, but I really like and respect Lamar Jackson. You know, things like that. So David Stern did that for the NBA, for market to his fans. You know, it's just they focus on the players more so than the individual teams. And from there, fans start to pick up on it. You know, remember the – I don't know if y'all remember the actual slogan, NBA action is fantastic. That was, I think that 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 I, that was David Stern. That was, you know, he wanted to, in order to placate, to the fans, to the paying the customer, which is mostly it's what which was most was and still is mostly white. He had to do what he had to do, and I'm not saying I was wrong, but I mean, hell, you got to do what you got to do. I mean, again, just remember when he took over as commissioner in 1984, the NBA finals were still on tape delay. And as much of the playoffs, so you know the 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 league wasn't covered as as hard as the n f l and, and major league baseball at, at the time you know that's back when baseball was still king in this country right um and you know it, and the n b a was barely i don't think it was as relevant as the n h l at the time believe it or not, so that's what David Stern walked into in nineteen eighty four when he took over for larry o'brien and which 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 uh the which which the NBA trophy is named the Larry O'Brien, but Larry O'Brien by the way, the O'Brien Trophy. But you know he brought it, David Stern brought it from from that to where we have it today. And so also you know as he, and so as he did that, he also did a few more things. He you know while he was commissioned for 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 three decades. And by the way, there's a great write up of David. Stearns Exploits on the Undefeated by uh, Mark J. Spears, where he goes into what he calls the David Stearns, remember David Stern's power moves. So that's a good read if you want to check that out as well. But basically, let me just summarize quickly what David Stern did for the league. You know, he pretty much, what he, to me, what he was known for the most, which I remember for, for, for the most, is the good that he did for the league, was he shepherded the league into a global market. He globalized the game, and from there he he was able to extract players from around the globe. I mean, you know, I mean, I know Akeem Olajuwon was arguably, arguably the first great foreign NBA player. Uh, you know, but he went to college at the University of Houston with Clyde Drexler. He was part of Five Slammer, Five Slammer Gemma, You know, that same Five Slammer Jamma that lost to my beloved in-state Wolfpack, my alma mater, Go Pack, in 1982. And uh, well, 1983, I should say, and the following year to Patrick Ewing, uh, george Hoys in 1984. But nevertheless, you know, from from like from making the from globalizing the sport and the league, he's able to attract guys, virtually like uh, Avidis Sabonis of uh, Portland Trailblazers, uh, Dirk Nowitzki, um, and, and 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 a host of others. Now you got Don, uh, Luka Doncic. Uh, doing this thing, uh, like like Pascal Siakam, um, I'm, trying, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the African guy who used to play at Oklahoma City. Now he's in Toronto. Has a series on on YouTube with Bleacher Report, He all kinds of crazy crap for players and celebrities. Um, I'll think for it later. Uh, but anyway, um, guys like those guys, like like them, he was able to attract. From making the the league global, you know um, Tony Parker from France, um, uh, Manu Ginobili from Argentina, Powell, the, the, the uh, Casal from Spain, Powell and and Mark. Um, so yeah, so y'all uh, get the uh, get the uh, idea. Oh, and Serge Ibaka, that was who I was blanking on earlier. Serge Ibaka. Um, but yeah, so he glo- Stern globalizes the, the sport, and he did that really. By when he started, when he when, when like uh, when he, like when he created, well, helped create the dream team for the Olympics for the nineteen ninety two Olympics, where you recall that was the first time that the NBA allowed its professional players to play on the U.S. Olympic squad. And so and and from there, you know, professional women did the same as it came along as well. Um, but that dream team squad. That showcased the talent to the rest of the NBA superstar talent to the rest of the world, to the point where people started paying more and more and more and more attention to what we had cook, cooking here in the states. And I know there was a um, that that little controversy when uh, Charles Barkley elbowed that cat from Angola on the way up the court. People were mad about that, but shit, I mean, people—the fact that people cared about that showed how. Much how the the interest the people took in the dream team, where we brought almost every country by the average score of fifty points or something like that and not only the globalization of the league that someone is responsible for it the, the league itself grew under him. Seven teams joined the league, and even though six of those seven teams some of those teams relocated uh you know Vancouver to Memphis Charlotte to New Orleans. Uh, then another Charlotte's expansion team and, and stuff like that. Um, the fact that the NBA was allowed stuff to grow like that—I mean, it, it widened the pie. It didn't even shrink the pie amongst teams. I mean, you added new markets, new new fans. And I remember the day when I was in high school when the Hornets came to the NBA in 1987. You know, I was a freshman in high school, and people wondered. Would the NBA thrive in the college centric, basketball-centric state? And not only it thrive, it just flourished. I mean, remember that the, the Sheldon Hornets had a consecutive sellout streak for almost a decade, for almost a, for over a, a a decade. You know, to the point where former owner George Shinn got brain dead and wanted to extort the city. <laughs> A uh, funds for a new stadium for a new arena, and end up packing his bags to New Orleans, which shouldn't have ever happened. But he's out the league now, and I think he's deceased. So God, God you know, God rest his soul. But still, uh, the fact that Charlotte, the Timberwolves, the Miami Heat, the Orlando Magic, the Toronto Raptors, you know, and, and the fact Vanco- and and the four mentioned Grizzlies that foray into Canada, you know. That that was under Stern's watch. He, I mean, the the league was so popular that he was able to su- successfully expand to different markets. And now, you know, that same Toronto team is like the defending NBA champion. You know, we the North, right? You know, the the first Canadian team to do it. And you know, the fact that a non-American franchise is the defending champs of the NBA is just, is still pretty hilarious to me. Um, I and mean, this is all that you know. Stern helped create it. Which I think was pretty one of the coolest things he's done. You know, he created the WNBA in 1997, the NBA Development League, which is now known as the G League, and you know, which you know pretty much helped create opportunities for 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 kids, for young men, who if they didn't get drafted to the NBA, or that allowed them to start their careers here in the states, so that a lot of the same people would not have to travel overseas and being different cultures or whatnot you know, to make their 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 best the professional basketball career dreams come true. They could do it here. And from there, you know, it's a feeder system now between the G League and the, and the and all the franchises in the NBA, that comes from David Stern. So, you know, the the same type of pipeline feeder system we have between the minor and like in baseball between the the farm systems like the minor leagues and the major leagues, it's in the it's with the NBA and the G League. It's so, totally in G. League um so those things alone he I mean Stern was really, really big for and one of the things that he should be remembered for now, there's some things that people were not too keen on what they stern did, such as um the reaction to the malice in the palace, um like where uh he suspended the guy forman on's wire test, piece. I think he's about to be called Ronald Tess now, but if him, Steven Jackson, and uh, uh, Jermaine O'Neal for their actions, when they're Pacers, while they were in Detroit, they got involved in, this, in a riot with some of the fans, who one of whom was dumb enough to throw a cup of water, a cup of beer on Ronald Tess, so he was lying, lying on the score so just running his business, and, you know, I understand that players have to protect themselves and have other's backs, but you know, I didn't have a problem with David Stern actually making an example out of those three guys to send a message that he don't fight the, the 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 paying customer. And you know, the, there was also the controversial dress code. You know, some people thought it was racist, some people thought that, you know, that they picked on that he picked on he being stern put on the younger stars, i.e. Allen Iverson, um, who you know, who, who was the poster child who's made a poster child of, of 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 what to of how not to dress as an NBA player off off the court when you on game days. Same with guys like Stefan Marbury and a lot of the like Kobe Bryant. A lot of those guys back then who came to the league at a time where you know there weren't really any dress codes. But you know I'm I'm glad that they did. I mean I'm talking uh, as a young guy now, uh, as an old guy now, right? As a 46 year old guy. I mean you have to dress part. It is a professional. For I mean, even though they're professional athletes, it's are still a profession, a high-paying profession. You have to look the part. I'm sorry, you just have to look the part. Well, you know what they say: you look good, you feel good, and you play good. So uh, I don't, I don't fault <clears throat> Stern for doing what he did there. My main beef, really, with David Stern, and I touched on it earlier, was George Shen, was with the Hornets. Now there was a time where the Hornets was doing so poorly in New Orleans that the league decided to own the team themselves to run it for like a, maybe a couple of seasons before they found a buyer in the form of George Benson, which eventually led to him changing the name to the Pelicans and giving the Hornets name back to Charlotte so they can get rid of that stupid-ass Bobcat's name. But nevertheless, one of the things that, you know, Stern did as, as owner of the New Orleans Hornets, then owner of the New Orleans Hornets, he vetoed a trade where it would have sent Chris Paul to the LA Lakers for some change, essentially. I don't know, I don't remember the tomato cans being received that the, that the Horns were to receive in return. The Stearns vetoed that trade and ended up sending, allowing Chris Paul to go to the Clippers instead, which pretty much changed the fortunes of both those franchises. You know, that was a time when Kobe was still his prime, excuse me, with the Lakers. And so that delayed Kobe from getting back to the finals by a few years because one could argue with well, Chris Paul, like, balling with Kobe in the backcourt, that would have, like, been the, callous, been the early callus to get back to the NFL instead of having to wait on, uh, what's his name, uh, Jeremy uh, Jerry West fleecing the Memphis Grizzlies for power Gasol <laughs> a few years later. But at any rate, I really, uh, as far as the legacy of David Stern, I think is a, a great legacy, one hell of a legacy to the point where he was not only recognized as the arguably the greatest commissioner, one of the greatest commissioners in American sports, but one of the greatest commissioners around the world, as far as the sports around the world. Um so rest in peace to David Stern. Um, you know, you know, his his exploits and what he did for the NBA will certainly not be forgotten. And I think the NBA is in great hands with his with his handpicked successor, Adam Silver. So Props to you, David Stern. Hope you are, you're you not giving uh, uh, St. Peter and them and having like, uh, a hard time over the NBA. And maybe St. Peter's a Knicks fan. Well, then again, I don't think St. Peter wants to be miserable. Uh, so moving right along. Um, the college football playoff. Um, both, both games in the college football playoff, both semifinal games played out to how I thought it would play out. I thought that LSU would beat the dog piss out of Oklahoma, and they did. I didn't think they would do the 263 63 to 28. But an ass is an ass and that's what that was. Um, because we all knew that after the top three teams, you know, LSU, Ohio State, and Clemson, there was a huge drop-off between number three and not only number, like number four, but pretty much four, five, and six. So... <laughs> Whether the committee would try to slide in Georgia or Alabama, if they had the SEC Jones or even Utah, if Utah were to beat uh, Oak, Oregon in the Pac-12 championship game, any one of the four teams have got to answer what about by, by LSU? That's how big of a drop-off it was, which is why I think that should quell the urge, the, the urge of, uh, of, of expanded a of playoff expansion. I mean, because other top three teams, did you really want to see teams four through eight? I didn't think so. <laughs> I, 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 I don't think anyone would have want to see those top three teams go against the rest of the field, the rest of the the, the, the other five teams, because it would have been ugly. I mean, I guess I don't have the rankings in front of me. The final rankings in front of me. I guess I can pull up, but I mean. Would anybody want to see? Um, I'm trying to trying to find the rankings here. Um, you know, like uh, LSU go against I guess who the eight team was I think it was the eight team Oregon, or Wisconsin. Do anyone really want to see that? Do anyone want to see like Ohio State and Clemson go up against uh, the, the the second, the seventh, and the sixth seeds respectively? And you know that, those were the ass whoopings. Because again. Out of the top three teams, there's a huge drop off between three and four. Now, the only game of interest probably would have been, like, Oklahoma and Alabama at four and five. Um, no, I'm sorry, uh, Oklahoma and – what's Georgia? Or Alabama – maybe Utah. Um, Oklahoma and Utah, I think. Uh, numbers four and five. I probably got that wrong, but I don't care. But the point is, is that either way I, – I, who. You know, if, if Oklahoma would have won that game, which I guess they would have under the circumstances of the the rankings, then they would have been plastered by by uh, LSU eventually in the semifinal round. So that's why, like I said, I, I'm not one for a playoff expansion. I, I, I like the season. I like it the way it is. It makes the regular season that much more important because I, I don't want to see anybody slipping in there and, and upset alpha the apple card you told us finished eleventh by the way, so I wouldn't be wrong on that. But you know, at any rate, I you know, I just and Georgia would have been fifth. Um but I, I, I just don't think people would have paid attention to open around. Even if it is play even if they were playing on college campuses, you know you know, even if, you know, it would have had more eyeballs or whatever because it would have been snoozers. Those who would have been snoozers surely would have probably made a lot of money, which, you know, money makes the world go out, But still, the fact of the matter is, they would have been all been ass whoopings, with the exception of maybe Oklahoma and Georgia because they've been fourth and fifth seeds, respectively. But the rest of, rest of them, Oregon, the sixth seed going against Clemson as a three seed, ass whooping. LSU going against Wisconsin as an eighth seed. AC Wisconsin, big ass whooping. Uh, <laughs> Last night at least Ohio State Second seed against Bayless The seventh seed about So out So, the way None of those games would have been good Except for maybe Oklahoma and Georgia that would have been there. And then Whoever won the Oklahoma and Georgia game Would have been a sacrificial lamb for LSU
1: um,
0: And I don't think People want to see Georgia Get Stump at LSU for the second time So either the way It worked out um, As far as the rest of the shit goes as far as, like, Oklahoma, I'm not sorry, Ohio State and Clemson, I wrote a rant on my blog about why Ohio State fans should not be crying about the officiating. Now, granted, I understand. Just because I don't agree with something doesn't mean I don't, doesn't mean I don't understand it. I didn't, didn't understand it. I understand that there was a couple of suspect calls in Ohio State-Clemson game. Hell, I watched both of them in the first half. I mean, we're one in the first half where it was a questionable call, like a uh, uh, targeting call where House's best defensive back just ran head first into Trevor Lawrence on the blitz. He came through on the blitz. He made a football play. And I know that technically it was um, targeted by the rule because the young man came with his head down and not seeing uh, Trevor Lawrence. And, you know, I get the beef from a Howell State fan that Trevor Lawrence, he ducked into it because he braced himself. If you know you're going to get hit, you brace yourself for it. I guess your natural reaction is to duck down, crouch, and, and brace yourself for it. Otherwise, if he came through clear, that would have that probably put, put, uh, um, put um, Lawrence out at least the rest of the first half because, remember, folks, the worst hits are the ones you do not see coming. And that, at a blindside hit like that, on a free blitz by that guy from Ohio State, ooh, that would have made some major damage. But it didn't. He ended up getting like he he was, he, he went he ended up getting the, he being Lawrence got the win out of him, came back a couple plays later, led touch touchdown drive to make it sixteen to seven, and then he had that sweet long fifty-plus yard run late in the second quarter that made it sixteen forty at halftime. And the momentum, the momentum was was solely on Clemson's side the rest of the way, even though Ohio State came out to take the lead late. But we always consist that Clemson was really back in this. Um, and then there was this guy, this fumble, this, this fumble that was not, the, the score that wasn't <laughs> in the second half where, you know, Clemson, like I think it was a third down play on the deep in their own territory. They threw a ball, like Lawrence threw a ball to one of the receivers he took like a few steps. He got stripped of the ball, and Ohio State is, uh, scooped up and scored a touchdown off of it. Now, in full speed, it didn't look like like it looked like a drop. But when the when they reviewed it, dude, not only made a football move for Clemson, he made four or five football moves. <laughs> okay, so that was that that was a fumble. That was a scoop of score. That for some reason. Even though we're so told, unless you have compelling evidence, otherwise, the speed of evidence, you don't overturn the call, they overturn the call. And so that robbed Ohio State at some point. So I get that too. But to me, where Ohio State really lost the game was in the first half. Follow me for a minute. Now, we all remember that Ohio State came out bloody Clemson in the nose. Basically, they, they hit him upside the head a few times, like, 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 like with a couple of two-pieces when they went up 16 to nothing. But even though they did go up 16 to nothing, if you, for those who watch the game, you realize that Ohio State, even though they were up 16 to nothing, it felt like they weren't up big. And here's the reason why. Ohio State clearly gave Clemson its best shot. And during that time, Ohio State drove within inside of Clemson's 10-yard line twice. And both times they came away with field goals. If you have the defending champs on the ropes like that, ladies and gentlemen, you have to finish the job. You can't come away with field goals. It applies to, It works the same way for teams playing the New England Patriots in the playoffs, and then it, works the same way in college football. When you knock off, the, when you get, off, if you play against the top dog. You gotta, you gotta give it all. The, you gotta bury them. You got to burn him. You can't let him off the hook. You can't let him off the mat like that. Ohio State had a chance to go up to to score two touchdowns to go along with Jake J.K. Dobbins' uh, uh, seventy-yard plus run. I think it was sixty yards plus yard uh, run. They would have been up twenty-one to nothing. And just say, let's just say for the sake of argument, that uh, I know that they scored how State scored a field goal outside the ten-yard line, but it was still in the red zone. Again, yeah, and resident opportunities. So let's just say, for sake of argument, that that Ohio State, when doing both times to inside the ten yard line of Clemson, they came over touchdowns and they scored a field goal that one time when they were outside the ten yard line, even though they're still in the red zone. They would have been up twenty-four to nothing, ladies and gentlemen. And I don't know about y'all, but twenty-four to nothing is a lot worse. Sixteen or nothing, because at least at sixteen or nothing, the Clemson would score a touchdown. They could reasonably say, "Okay, we're 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 within nine points. We're not double digit. We're not in a double digit deficit." Imagine how desperate things would have been for Clemson if they were down twenty-four to nothing instead of sixteen to nothing. And if you use if you if you use a little math here, when you look at the final score. If they were, up, if Ohio State was up, if was up twenty twenty four to say fourteen at halftime. They said, said say for the sake of Clemson does score those two touchdowns anyway. They were, they they, they Ohio State would be up twenty four fourteen, and route to a thirty one to twenty nine victory because they scored seven points in the second half that allowed them to take the lead late against Clemson. For a Clemson, arrive for for late for a last minute touchdown. They still. There wouldn't have been any need for Ohio State to go on a on a, on a game winning drive because at that point, barring a miracle on the uh, on, on the ensuing outside kick, the scored late. Ohio State would have would have like Ohio State would have run out the clock and won the ball game, to playing LSU in the in the national championship game. But we know how that did how that turned out. Ohio State, of course, did not catch him there. Um, Opportunities. And it was to the point where I was, I was watching with a cousin of mine on, on like a, on my wife's side of the family, and I was like looking at him. I'm like, is it just me? And this is what back when Ohio State was up 16 to nothing, is it just me, or, or or even though Ohio State has given Clemson by far its best shot, it felt that Clemson was still in it. I mean, and, and, and of course Clemson did come from behind, and scored those two touchdowns, too late in the second quarter. To, to 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 cut the the, the deficit to, to to single digits, but I mean to, to to less than a field goal. But it just goes to show you that even though Ohio State was dominating, they were balling. I mean, Cliffs clearly were not prepared for Ohio State's physicality early. It still seemed that Clinton was still in it. So again, this is like the lesson to all you all who athletes or aspiring whatever who are looking to make a power move in life. If you have the defending champs or your boss, man, whoever, if you have those on, them on the ropes, you got to knock his ass down to, on the canvas and make sure it doesn't come up from the canvas. Ohio well, stay failed in doing that by scoring, by coming with two field goals inside Clemson's 10-yard line. And as a result, they left points in the field. And allowed Clemson to get his bearings, to get his footing, to get back in it when they had no damn business being back in it, and the rest is sisters. So, even though the 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 refs were suspect, I agree with that. I don't think it was solely the rest of the house they fans. So, you got to still play them. The best, the best teams come go to overcome any adversity. Clemson overcame adversity earlier. Y'all squad didn't at the end, so it sucks because Ohio State played well. Um, that was prop that was hands down the best semifinal, football semifinal game to date, and uh, it makes for an exciting championship game. So speaking of which, the battle of the Tigers, the battle of the Death Valleys, LSU versus Clemson. Now I said two weeks ago on the podcast with, with my partner, Dwayne Nash, that I felt whoever won the Ohio State-Clemson game will win the national championship because of two reasons. A, they both have dynamic offenses, but they have very physical defenses. Clemson is tops in the, in the, in the nation and in in points allowed. And while LSU leads the nation in points scored, their defense ain't all that great. And LSU would have not – would not would not have – have not seen the likes of a dominant defense like they were in Clemson. And, you know, Clemson's offense would be relieved that LSU's defense is nowhere near as physical and dominant as how State's defense was. You know, no pass rushing coming off the edge. It's probably going to be a second or third player in the draft. Um, you know, the Ohio States back back like back, back, back four. The secondary was great. It was very physical. They were determined not to let Tre uh um you know the um you know T T Higgins and company run around the secondary on them. It was only when that kid was was thrown out, which I thought was stupid by the way, for that uh controversial uh, targeting penalty on, on like like uh, on um Trevor Lawrence when the offense started to open up for Clemson's terms of this passing game. So Clemson will not have to face that with L S U. So as a result, and given the fact that Clemson's still the defending champs, I got a Clemson winning. Because again, I don't Clemson's, Clemson is champs. It's a champ. And, you know, uh I don't think L S U could match up with Clemson's physicality. Um uh-huh. And you know, I I know people say, Well, what about LA, Auburn Al Alabama? Yeah, but you know, Auburn can't really couldn't really score consistently and Alabama's defense is very suspect this year, so you can't really count them. So I have Clemson beating L S U in the close one. Um I'm gonna give I'm 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 gonna say I'm I'm gonna say uh Clemson twenty eight, L S U twenty three. And for them, for Clemson to win his third title in four years and it will be the new college football dynasty. And, uh, yeah. So, Ohio State fans, I apologize. I feel for you. But to quote the great Omar from The Wire, from the greatest series of all time The Wire, if you come at the Kings, that's not to miss. And your squad miss. Early and often in the first half, when it went up 16 to nothing, instead of at least 24 to nothing. So we're going to close the podcast with uh, the previews of the uh, of, of of the uh, 2020 NFL playoffs, the Wildcard Weekend. We have a few games. I'm going to go through them very quickly. Uh, the Saturday game, First of all, the first game: the Bills and Texans. This is probably the very stepchild game of the weekend because not many people follow the Texans, not many people outside the Bills Mafia, which is a great fan base by the way, follow the Bills. I mean, people, I mean, you know, people in attention as I said, well, the other three games of the weekend. So, but I, the Texans at home, you figure Houston's going to have to break through, right? You figure they have to break through, but these aren't the Cincinnati Bengals that the Houston Texans are playing. So <laughs> I said that because the last few, the only wins the Texans had in the playoffs that I could recall were against the Cincinnati Bengals. So, you know, remember because the, 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 the Colts beat the Texans, I mean, beat them down last season in the playoffs. And while I don't think the Bills will beat down the Texans per se, I think they'll go in and win it. They got the defense to do it. The kid, uh, Josh Allen, is playing out, playing out of his mind in the second year. He's only going to get better. And I loved Buffalo's running game as well. So between Buffalo's running game and, his hellified def- and the hellified defense, I got the Bills on in that one. And the second game, which is one that I'm very intrigued by and a lot of people will be paying attention to because they may be seeing the end of a dynasty, the new the the, the Tennessee Titans, New England Patriots. It will be a Foxborough, but this, to me, the, the Patriots playing, playing the Titans is the worst possible matchup for the Patriots because they don't do well defensively against power running teams. But if you look at the teams that beat down the Patriots, that beat the Patriots this year and last year, the thing that those teams had in common was that they had strong running games, and the running they were able to get the most out of running games, whether it be the running backs or mobile or the mobile quarterbacks. The Titans have both. They have a Hell if I win a game in there. Kenry who's finished as a as a Russian champion with fifteen hundred and forty yards, sixteen touchdowns. As well as a resurgent Ryan Cannonhill who's balled out of control. I mean, he's he, he's he had career highs and passing yardage, touchdown reception, I mean touchdown passes rather. He rushed for a few scores as well. And keep in mind he came in late like middle of the, like or, or, like middle of the season. And in relief of um, of an effect of, of, of ineffective, uh, Marcus Mariota, and still put up huge numbers in this offense. So I think the Titans aren't scared of the Patriots. I think the Patriots, when they lost to the Dolphins, by the way, thank you Miami, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you from every other NFL fan base <laughs> um, for for sending the Patriots down to the three seed. I just think that the Patriots, they can't really move the ball that well. I mean, Tom Brady is Tom great, but Tennessee has a pretty damn good defense itself, pretty underrated defense. Um, so I think that the Titans match up well with the Patriots. I think this is the worst matchup for the Patriots, even though they'll be playing at home. But we all know in the NFL in particular that running game and defense travel. And They typically travel pretty well. So – God, I'm tempted to pick the Titans, even though the Patriots are, seeded, are favored by five. Oh, what the hell? It may be the kiss of death, but I'm feeling dangerous. Upset, upset special, I'm picking the Titans or the Patriots, and what should be a competitive game. But this should also be the end of the Patriots' dynasty. As well, because we all know that Tom Brady is a free agent after the season. So this may be the end. So moving on to the NFC. Vikings is Saints to be very entertaining. Um I like the saints in this one though. I don't trust Kirk Cousins in big moments. And, you know, I feel I feel for Vikings family because the eighty six million dollar guarantee that Kirk Cousins got and God bless him for doing because contra fully guaranteed, they're not gonna get much of it they haven't got much of his investment now. I mean then and and signed it and it will be more than the same now as well, come Saturday, Sunday, rather. So, I expect the Saints to win. I expect the Saints to win by digits, to be honest with you. The Saints are pissed off. They're on admission, as a three, even though they're a 3C, they're playing at home. But I, I expect these Saints to really, really, really curb-stomp the, the Vikings. The, and the best game to me, well, I don't think it's the best game. So I think the best game of the weekend is Titans, Titans-Patriots. But Seahawks Eagles will be very intriguing as well. The Seahawks are blowing a chance to... Knowing when the division will get a first one by, they have to now go road across country to the Philadelphia Eagles who are now feeling themselves getting healthy at the right time. Um, this is Carson Wentz, or as Shane Shubble like to call him, Walker of uh, initial foray to the playoffs and started as, a, as an active player. So no more uh, Nick Foles to have to sit behind and watch him get all the glory. But Seahawks are favored by one and a half points. And this is going to be tough for the Seattle to do, but I like the see in this one. I think, you know, they're getting the rejuvenated of uh, Marshawn Lynch back to take the place of, 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 the, of the injured uh, running back and Russell Wilson's on a mission. Um, I think the are a little bit, a bit pissed off as well as to how the game against the 49 has ended, and I think they're going to take it out on the Eagles. Um, again, the Eagles, they got the Harvard champion, they, they, I'm, I'm happy that up there in this thing, instead of Dallas. So, between Dallas not making the playoffs and, and the Patriots getting knocked down to a three seed, to make the road tougher uh, in, in the playoffs, it didn't matter that my skills lost and got limited from the playoffs anyway. That made my those two things along: no Cowboys in the playoffs, Patriots in a bad matchup as a three seed. Those two things along made my weekend, but. Anyway, I got the Seahawks beating the Eagles in this one, so uh, that should about do it there. Uh, but uh, this is gonna be exciting playoffs, NFL playoffs, and uh, this will be really be sort by what should be a more exciting um, college football playoff championship game. So that'll be it. So hope you y'all enjoy the weekend. Hope you all enjoy the playoffs. Hope you you you, you all enjoy. Um, the, uh, the national championship game, which I think will be sometime next weekend, late next week. Uh, but, no, two, two months from now. But, uh, anyway, hope you all enjoyed it anyway. Hope you enjoyed the NFL playoffs. Thank you all for tuning in. This is Scott Perks. signing off on the, on the Thursday night. Hope you all stay good, stay cool, take care. Happy New Year again. Until next time, 06. Peace.